Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the Frequent Issuers Managing Editor. And I'm Mike Turner, Corporate Bonds Reporter. And this week, coming up, we'll be talking to our Deputy Fig Editor, Frank Jackman, about uh, a late summer flurry of sterling bond issuance. Uh, But first, rather more disastrous news. Uh, We're off to Asia, uh, China in particular. Uh, And we're not stopping there because we're going to follow the trail uh, from Country Garden, a large Chinese property developer, which uh, is in some trouble. And we're going to follow how that is affecting other borrowers in other parts of the world's capital markets. Now, uh, Country Garden became the latest big Chinese property company to miss coupon payments uh, last week. Uh, It raised fears once more about defaults among this heavily indebted group of bond issuers and the horrors that could bring to the world's capital markets. Uh, It's in a 30-day grace period at the moment, although I wonder if that shouldn't really be a 30-day disgrace period. But anyway, um, so it's not not actually defaulted yet, but its financial pain is, is very real. It also issued a warning that it expects to make losses of between $6.2 and $7.5 billion for the first half of the year. Uh, and it has other debt payments to meet too. It's got about $2.3 billion worth of bond coupons and redemption payments to meet this year. And the distress in its bonds is clear. They they were trading as low as six to nine cents on the dollar this week, uh, which just shows how little investors think there is a chance of them being paid back at the moment. The company is, of course, one of the country's biggest property developers, and it's really suffering from economic downturn in China, uh, which has hit home sales. Uh, Country Garden's contract sales between January and July were down 35% year on year, 61% versus two years ago, and its shares slid uh, 63% this year. They they trade in Hong Kong. Now, the first problem, uh, Mike, is that this is is well the first and only problem i suppose apart from if you own country garden bonds is one of contagion um now first of all that's a problem for the chinese property sector as a whole but also other other chinese um uh, issuers isn't it it is well issuers as well as um financers so there's a there's a large shadow banking industry in china that finances a lot of these um private um real estate companies and it, when you look at the scale of this, the real estate companies so a, a 7.6 billion dollar equivalent loss for the first half of 2023 for ch- uh, country gardens that's you know that it gives you an idea of the huge scale of company that you're dealing with here um so when shadow banks are financing these deals um of you know financing these companies and now they have to take big hits to their um portfolios and in some cases to their liquidity it you know there's it moves from being a real estate issue to being a financial markets issue has anyone identified one company in particular uh, uh yeah shangxi uh, has uh reportedly told investors that it's facing a liquidity problem and it's missed uh retail uh, payments to retail investors um it hasn't said anything public on this yet but it it uh it's been reported in in top of reuters yeah, and of course, um, there's, there's contagion within the sector, isn't there? People are now looking for the next Chinese property company uh, to be in trouble. And Longfor was uh, one that was mentioned to us. Its uh, bond prices fell by about 15 to 16 points this week. Uh, this is, this is um, I mean, Chinese property, it's not a 
not a new problem for the bond market as as one source in Asian markets told us it's like Evergrande all over again and he was referring to the huge Chinese property company China Evergrande Corp which uh, defaulted in 2021 um, but actually you know someone else told us in Hong Kong that not many had expected trouble at Country Garden so you can understand the uh, the panic I suppose and why it's spreading. Yeah this has sort of hit people from out of nowhere Country Garden was really um, considered to be a top tier borrower and a top tier company um, and I think the the other difference between now and when Evergrande uh, defaulted is now the world is looking a lot more ropey and a lot more knackered um, so you know the, the risk of contagion outside of China uh, has also bumped up quite significantly. Yeah well let's let's follow that thread then. Um, our emerging market reporting colleague George Collard wrote a story about how Asian investors have uh, disappeared from from order books for bonds from Gulf issuers in the Middle East. Now, we should say that this isn't a new problem, but it does illustrate how uh, investors worried about things in the markets closer to home creates problems in international markets, doesn't it? Yeah, I also wonder if there's another dynamic here. So, so obviously, if you're a Chinese investor and you hold a lot of real estate, um, you are going to be quite badly burnt. Uh, in the last couple of weeks and that's going to you know reduce your risk appetite for um for more exotic deals uh things like sukuk but also there's a degree of um because rates have risen around the world uh it's made asset classes that weren't particularly attractive to investors much more attractive now so you're getting a lot of retail investors for example buying corporate bonds because now the the yields on corporate bonds are comparable to other things that retail investors could have bought during the height of QE that would have given a return. But with, you know, much higher credit rating and, you know, much more um, uh, dependable returns and all the things that come with fixed income. Um, so I wonder if there's also a degree of that of now it's just easier to buy it in, their, in your home market and have a much better idea of what you're buying. Well, you know, in theory, because obviously people have bought um, Country Garden and now they're totally out of pocket but um so i wonder if that's also another dynamic that's driving investors that would once buy gcc debt back into sort of chinese and domestic debt yeah not having to go go further afield into things you don't know to make the returns you want to make i think that's perfectly perfectly possible i mean it's showing up um i guess if we use a sukuk deal from a gulf issuer almirai uh, as an example, now in July, it did a Sukuk uh, where 7% of the paper went to Asian investors. Uh, now, compare that to four years ago, 23% of the bonds uh, went to Asian investors. Um, it's, it's, of course, not a problem affecting all Gulf issuers. The big, the biggest, best issuers, like sovereign issuers like Saudi Arabia and the UAE, do not seem to have suffered a drop in Asian demand. Uh, but this is... This is uh, Investors from places like Taiwan, South Korea, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Singapore, and they're all retreating back within Asian markets. And some tell us it's, you know, uh, because they're worried about Chinese growth and uh, higher, you know, tougher US regulations in making overseas investments. Um, and that's all led to sort of outflows from emerging market funds in Asia. I think as well, it was interesting in George's story, he quoted uh, bankers saying that it's not it's not really too much of a big deal in that if you are uh, an EM issuer, you, you get the sort of anchor EM funds, the big funds that everyone cares about. And then Asia, Asia interest is kind of uh, peripheral, you know, nice to have rather than need to have. But, you know, if you look at this Almari Sukuk in, 20, in 2019, it was almost a quarter of their book 
was made up by Asian investors. And that is not a insignificant amount at all. So the fact that it's now down to 7%, you know, like, yes, the presumably the 2019 deal could have still got done without Asian investors, as it has, you know, done largely um, this week. But the things like pricing dynamics and, you know, secondary market performance and all these things will be heavily affected by that because that is a huge, huge drop off. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, bankers in the in the Gulf region were telling George this week that you typically expect five to ten percent of the uh, of your your deals if you're a Gulf issuer uh, to go to Asian investors. Um, higher, obviously, if you're a sovereign or a quasi sovereign like Saudi Arabia's public investment fund. Um, but you're absolutely right. You know, as an issuer, you want as much demand from as many different pots as possible to try and secure you the best possible pricing and the the best possible performance for your paper afterwards. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why you get, you know, people going out to Taiwan to do deals or, you know, Aussie dollar yeah. deals and things like that. They don't necessarily need these currencies at all. And it's, you know, a right old hassle to have to do it. But mm. you get those extra pockets of investors. So there's, you know, there's obviously a real benefit to doing that. So I think issuers will be feeling it quite keenly that um, Asian demand has dropped off this much. Yeah, well, Taiwan's a really interesting case in point because it has uh, famously in the in the capital markets this group of big life insurance companies that um, are much priced because they have a natural need to buy long dated assets, uh, which really helps with things like sovereign syndications and so on. And they're they're not the sort of people you would really want to see uh, leaving your order books. I'm not saying that they are. Uh, we don't have any specific information on them as an investor group, but they're the sorts of investors that you would you would highly prize because they. Uh, they will support long dated deals and make it more make it possible or make it cheaper for you or better for you to to get long dated funding done but of course it's not just uh asia where where there may or may not be a a lack of a lack of demand or slightly higher caution uh, you've written a really interesting story this week mike about how this could affect the how the problems in the chinese real estate sector could affect the european corporate bond market of all places uh, first of all how is that manifesting itself so far so far, it's just coming out as a sort of sentiment issue. People are keeping one eye on what's happening in China and how it might um, affect things like supply chains or demand um, for you know for for the companies that issue bonds in Europe. And this is particularly um, poignant now because Q2 results were underwhelming, but there is a uh, sort of growing consensus and worry about Q3 results because that's when things like rate rises and tighter liquidity and, and less demand and, and all the things we've all been facing will um, will really make themselves known. So mm. for China to now face major economic issues, um, that will, you know, that has the potential to really exacerbate that. Yeah, yeah. A recession in China would make the prospects of a, a, a recession in Europe even worse, you might think. And with rates high, that's been particularly bad for property companies, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've talked before in this podcast, and you've written extensively about the problems the uh, real estate sector has had in financing itself in the bond market, having had a spell where it was doing, you know, there seemed to be a, two or three property companies in the market every week a couple of years ago. Yeah, they were they were the second biggest issuing sector of the market in uh, 2021 but the but now yeah you're absolutely right they've been punished by by fixed income investors and a if you look at triple b rated real estate investment grade bonds in euros a, a sort of composite index of them um yesterday they were trading at an i spread of 270 basis points and if you look at 
every other triple B rated corporate bond issuer that isn't a real estate company, they're at one thirty. So you know, more than double the spread. Um yeah. is what investors are demanding from real estate companies. Uh, so yeah, it's tricky time. So that and that's what makes it even more difficult for Europe. In that, if the world has now got one eye on Chinese real estate, in Europe, real estate was already doing badly. Um, so it's going to increase the sorts of pressure there. Now there are a few things in Europe which uh, Europe has in its favour over China. Um, in particular, things like there's not a big refire wall coming. So you know there's not a massively pressing need for debt. Whereas um, uh, you know, there's quite a few redemptions of dollar bonds coming up in China in the real estate section. Um, and uh, rental cash flows as well in Europe are doing are doing well enough that debt servicing isn't becoming an issue yet. So you won't get missed bond payments because um, particularly in things like shopping centres, um, the, the rent has stayed pretty sticky. So they've got that money coming in. It's a higher high cash business. Um, but, you know, at the same time, things like hybrid bonds are still an issue. Uh, issuers are having to work out ways around them because they just can't refi them in the regular market because it's just the way too high yields that they'd be asked to pay. Um, so there is, you know, there's still plenty of problems in the real estate market in Europe. How can uh, a real estate issuer with a hybrid uh, call date, for example, coming up? I mean, how are they, how are they sort of thinking about dealing with, with those deals? Because they will obviously not want to pay the sort of high reset spread on their coupon after the call date if they don't don't call the deal they also risk annoying investors if they don't call the deal um for reasons that i constantly find baffling but you know seem to be real um what you know are there any any has there, have there been any examples of companies sort of having to negotiate those problems so far and how have they done it so the, the real template of how not to do it is in a company called Around Town, which is a German real estate company. They, um, the communication that came from that company was very uh, confusing and you know unclear, and it led to investors being unsure of what was going to happen to their investment. And I think investors are fairly pragmatic, and they understand that you know what hybrids are and how the real estate sector is in trouble. Um, so coming with strong communication and with a pragmatic plan it seems to be a good way to get investors on side even if you're not going to call your hybrid bonds so i'm thinking particularly of uh, unibail uh, Rodamco westfield the company that owns uh, you know the westfield shopping centers um they had a hybrid coming up and instead of not calling it and instead of trying to come to the open market and redo it they they did an exchange which hasn't been done in the corporate bond market before and essentially what that was is issuing a new hybrid but doing it not in the open market so they could set the the yield themselves and not have to sort of like see price discovery and stuff like that and the way they could do that the way that helped is they could offer investors more than not calling their old hybrids but they not have to pay as much as they would if they came to the market themselves so it's kind of like a, a fudge but a pragmatic one that works for everyone so we could well see more of those yeah well that will uh that will that will keep the um sort of alm teams at the banks happy uh doing a bit more <laughs> sort of complicated refinancing but um no no sort of obviously no direct route across from from chinese real estate to european real estate i think i think you uh sort of said in your story yeah, no, no direct read across, but um, the people that I spoke to, nearly everyone 
highlighted that they you know said the word yet so it could it could change quite quickly i think yeah okay well we'll watch this space then thank you mike uh in the meantime we spoke to frank jackman about the spate of activity in the financial institutions bond market in sterling Morning, Frank. Welcome back to the Global Capital Podcast. Morning, Ralph. Thanks for having me. Uh, now, you're on last week telling us uh, about part of the financial institutions bond market that um, was un- unduly busy or unexpectedly busy for uh, a week in August. And um, it's happening again, uh, but in the sterling market this time. Uh, can you give us a sort of brief overview of what's happened? Yeah, the big market seems open pretty much everywhere, but you know the sterling market in particular is sort of the star of the week. So, nationwide went first, um, came out with a bit of 700 million sterling uh, seen referred print on Monday, and attracted a 1.7 billion book, which was one of the biggest sort of bit to cover ratios of the year. And then two days later, Virgin Money came and attracted a 1.9 billion book, albeit for a smaller deal. And both these names haven't access the market in these sort of formats for some time so there was definitely there's a lot of appetite for for sterling paper and even more appetite for rare sterling paper uh when you say rare i mean how long has it been since these issuers were in the market because it's their home market you would think they would do quite a bit there, right yeah so virgin money last issued an unsecured sterling deal last june but that was a, an additional tier one note in fact its last senior bond in sterling which is what it issued this week arrived four years earlier um, so it's been a very long time definitely not since before covid that it's issued and even even nationwide which yes they issued sterling unsecured debt in a bail-in format last november but they haven't issued senior preferred paper which is what they did this week since january 2020 so in both cases it's been three or four years since sterling investors had the opportunity to pick up exposure to these names in these formats and that's it's quite a long time, actually. <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic because in the corporate bond market, the exact opposite is happening. I'm being told that issuers that haven't come for a long time or that don't have, you know, aren't pumping out bonds with a really regular issuance program, that they have no reason to come in August because it's, you know, a bit bit scary in case things go wrong. They might as well just go with the flow and go in September. Um, so it's interesting. I guess it speaks to the health of the fig market that these issuers who haven't done these sorts of deals in a long time who aren't you know massive name virgin money is not you know a massive name uh, and are still getting huge success yeah i think it helps that um last week bnp Paribas sort of reawoke the sterling market after about four weeks with a 750 million six-year non-call five print and that that got 1.6 billion of demand which is pretty solid for a, a non-uk name and i know it's not not in the sterling market, but we also had Barclays, which the uh, was at one and a quarter billion bail-in deal that got five and a half billion of demand, which just shows like there is an interest in getting up, getting exposure to UK risk in in August, and yeah, nationwide and Virgin Money just confirmed that. And it's not just the the fig market either. There's been a wave of sterling supply in the SSA market too, the sovereign supranational and agency bond market. Uh, German agency KFW did a £600 million 
increase uh, to one of its bonds this week, which was twice the size it set out to do. And the Asian Development Bank uh, brought a five-year deal, a three hundred million pound five-year deal on on Thursday, and that's just one of a number of maybe like five or six SSA trades that have come to the market in recent weeks. And and the only trades to have come in the corporate bond market, the high-grade corporate bond market this month, have been in sterling for Mercedes-Benz and Caterpillar. So there's there's obviously something in the sterling waters. Yeah, what is it, Frank? Well, um, I don't know. So the ADB deal offered a single-digit or low single-digit bit of arbitrage in sterling compared to dollar funding. For the for the borrower, that is. You mean cheaper for the funding in sterling than they could yes. raise in another currency, yeah. Yeah, of course. But um, obviously, whatever the SSA market can do, the FIG market can do better. Outrageous. And uh, nationwide deal was, yeah, 35 inside sort of where dollar pricing was being offered. So it's, it's quite a bit. <laughs> um, is, there, is there any sense that the... Um, in, in When I've covered corporate sterling deals there's frequently a big rush of sterling trades everyone gets very excited they're, they're very well covered but it can exhaust quite quickly because there's such a small pool of investors compared to euros and, and especially compared to dollars um so is there a sense that you know this could be a, a bit of a flash in the pan for fig it's definitely it is a bit of a fickle is the word that people use quite frequently to describe the uh, sterling market i don't know if the investor base would agree necessarily with that but you do get, as you say, massive rush of sterling deals and then nothing, and then a massive rush and then nothing. But if you look at it, uh, the sterling market is arguably a bit undersupplied in uh, the last few weeks. Well, obviously in the last few weeks because we've all been on holiday, but in the last few months, I mean. But um, if you look at it, fig borrowers have pushed about just under 23.5 billion of sterling paper through the market this year, according to our primary market monitor but and although that's more than the almost 17 billion they raised over the same period last year this year sterling was heavily selling issuance was heavily um concentrated in the uh the first three months of the year when 14 billion was raised and then 6 billion in may and june so we've had nothing pretty much aside from this run this week and so yeah there's definitely been not that much since uh well, but two months, so there's definitely a pent up bit of appetite. I mean, that explains why why investors are hungry for the paper, uh, especially if they're able to, you know, if issuers are able to offer them a decent spread while saving money compared to core core currency markets. But of course, um, September and uh, I guess you know is when the primary bond markets tend to reopen again in full roar. And in fact, a little bit earlier, they tend to really get going at the end of August, don't they, uh, nowadays? Um, so we probably would expect a lot more issuance in euros and dollars, which are much bigger, much more core markets to SSA fig and corporate borrowers. What are people saying about the likelihood of uh, this this fine run of sterling issuance continuing until then and beyond? I think there is a bit of confidence that others could follow. You know, Nationwide and Virgin Money um, have shown that at least for sterling issuers in the sterling market, there is definitely appetite and demand. I spoke to both of the treasury teams there and they were optimistic that others will follow on from their deals and bankers are saying very similar things. I actually had a chat with someone this morning who was saying that... um, possible sterling deals next week so fingers crossed whether whether foreign issuers access the market is maybe a little bit 
different because um, yes, we had the BNP deal going very well, but then Danske Bank came to the market and it was slimly covered, still still a decent outcome, but it wasn't a blowout in the same way that Virgin Money or Nationwide were this week. I guess they like the um, SSA issuers are much more dictated to by whatever the cross-currency basis swap uh, says yeah. they can swap the proceeds of their sterling bonds for back into uh, euros or dollars or whatever, however they want to pay for it. Yes, of course. Yeah, no, that's um, definitely the case for uh, borrowers like Danske Bank. I know there's some of the um, international funders that have got UK exposure. I know Handels Bank and last year was one that funded in sterling and I think they actually kept it in sterling because they've got a private bank, private banking franchise here. But for the most part, these banks, yeah, as you say, are swapping back. So we've talked about the uh, supply, Frank, for sterling paper. Do you think that demand will, will be able to match it? Yeah, I think the because of where rates are in the sterling market, you know, the levels that you can get for a senior preferred paper are pretty attractive. You know, investors can now get sort of coupons that they had to previously look at capital deals. Or if you just take nationwide, when it last went to the sterling market in 2020, it only offered a 1% coupon, which it's it's a it's a pipe dream at the moment, like 1%. <laughs> But you look at the uh, you look at their last eighty one, which they did back in June twenty twenty. That was five spot seven five. The coupon on their senior preferred note, which they offered on Monday, was thirty seven and a half basis points higher than their last eighty one. So why not? If you're getting a better quality paper, a better better coupon. All right. Well, optimistic. Uh, thanks, Frank. We'll um, we'll, we'll keep uh, we'll keep an eye on your coverage to see how this develops and over the rest of the uh, rest of the summer. Well, to keep track of how problems among Chinese real estate bond issuers affect the world's capital markets in whatever form that may take, be sure to read globalcapital.com or, of course, subscribe to this podcast. It's out for free every Friday. Just search for us on any podcast platform of your choosing. Thank you to Mike and Frank for joining me to record this edition. And we'll be back for more from the capital markets next week. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.